Okay, let's go into Dr. Smith's case. My patient is a 65-year-old, naliprous woman, who approximately four years ago had a 1.6-onometer estrogen receptor positive, progesterone receptor positive, and a HER2 new negative, infiltrating ductal cancer that was also node negative. She was placed on tamoxifen, and after having been on it for three years and with the data of changing to aromatase inhibitors, she was switched to Arimidex. After about three months on anastrozole, she started complaining of a lot of abdominal discomfort and wanting to come off of it. And at that point in time, we were following her laboratories. Her physical evaluation was entirely unremarkable. Where was the discomfort? Epigastric and not reproducible with examination. She had not lost any weight. She was convinced that it was related to the anastrozole. We did some laboratory test at the time, just blood test, and found a slight elevation in the LDH and an elevation in her CA2729. As a consequence of the elevation of the marker, which was reproduced, and the slight elevation of the LDH, a CAT scan was done, and she had four lesions in the liver. I wasn't persuaded that they were the result of her symptoms, but nonetheless, they were there. The largest one of these was a little over two centimeters, and a biopsy was requested and performed. In fact, this was infiltrating disease consistent with her breast primary, was estrogen receptor positive and still HER2 new negative. A PET scan was done prior to the biopsy, and it showed these lesions to be hypermetabolic. There was no bony lesions. The lungs were clear. It was entirely isolated to the liver. So, Joe, this is a lady who had three years of tamoxifen and got switched to anastrozole. Now, three months later, has liver mets. Well, again, it would be preferable to use endocrine therapy if at all possible. The concerns I have about this particular patient are, number one, she developed metastasis while getting an endocrine agent. So she really has resistant disease, at least to tamoxifen. Secondly, she may have progressed on Arimidex. That's unclear to me, but it's possible. And thirdly, she does have visceral metastases, but more concerning that they seem to be symptomatic. I probably would want to pursue this a little further by scoping her to see if there's any other cause that may be explaining her abdominal pain. But you said her LEH is elevated, but other liver function tests are normal? Correct. And the largest lesion in the liver is? 2.8 centimeters. 2.8. And there are four lesions? Any of them near the capsule of the liver that may explain why she's having the pain? Or No. In fact, by the time we get to the biopsy, it's about four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. She has herself stopped her anastrozole and claims to be feeling better. Do we have a CEA? No, I did not do a mm-hmm. CEA, no. You know, I'd be really concerned that there may be a second primary here, either in the stomach or in the colon, so I think she needs a more extensive workup. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, this lady was biopsied. The tumor was estrogen receptor positive. I guess the question is, how often can we see estrogen receptor positivity in non-breast cancers? I know we can see it in lung. I don't think we generally would expect to see it in colon or gastric. Presumably, the histology was similar? Yes. Okay. Is there something, the epigastric pain is what you're thinking about, that this might be another tumor? Yes. Also, the fact that all of the clinical features pointed to the fact that relapse at this point is not likely. I'll accept the fact that we may be dealing with metastatic breast cancer here. But I think this is someone who I'd be on the fence in terms of endocrine therapy. Again, my inclination is always to try and use endocrine therapy 
first. And in this particular case, my preference probably would be to use fulvastrin with a loading dose. But if not, I think she would need cytotoxic therapy. If I did use endocrine therapy, I would watch her very, very closely. What cytotoxic therapy and would you use Bev? My default position for first-line therapy would be to use paclitaxel and bevacizumab. Kathy? Well, I suspect that this lady has asymptomatic liver medicine that may have been her anastrozole that was giving her abdominal pain and that you've just uncovered something that might have otherwise been covert. So I would see her as being a candidate for endocrine therapy for sure, but I think these people with visceral meds, you have to just watch them really closely with even weekly liver function tests and markers and so on for whatever you can get for a while. I'd try her on fulvestrin, and I wouldn't go to chemotherapy at this point personally. Learning dose? Yeah, absolutely. Just a question. Did her symptoms improve after she stopped the... Yes, yes, they went away. Okay. Ahmad, before you say what you might do, what do we know about these kinds of symptoms in AIs, abdominal discomfort? Actually, a small number of patients do complain of GI symptoms, but I don't know whether in this patient these were related. My feeling is that even before you brought it up, I was thinking that she has hepatic metastasis, which might be some of it was close to the capsule, which might have been causing some of the symptoms. I do not think that this much of epigastric pain over my 10-15 years of using AIs I have ever seen in any patient. So how do you think you might have treated her? I would still think that this patient has a hormone-responsive disease, biopsy-proven ERPR-positive disease, and she has relatively low-volume disease, so I think she will be an appropriate candidate under medical supervision to give additional trial of endocrine agents. Which one? I personally think that giving her fulvostrant would be a reasonable option. You know, I think I've seen a change in practice in terms of the use of hormonal therapy and visceral disease. I think like maybe 10, 15 years ago, people just wanted to go right to chemo. And you all have been saying this forever, what the three of you just said. And I think the message is getting through. And anyhow, I guess it's exemplified by this case. What happened, Fred? Can I just ask Amon, is this a patient where you would just not do anything and look for a tamoxifen withdrawal response? She was on an AI. But she stopped it. But she stopped. The TAM was three months ago or six? About four months ago. But the thing is that over the years, in 20 plus years, I have not seen a documented case of tamoxifen withdrawal which showed a dramatic improvement. I think sometimes you see it patients who have a biologically slow-progressing disease that stopping the therapy may just keep the pace of the disease same, but you may think that it is regressing. Most of the withdrawal things which we saw were with the pharmacological doses of estrogens. When we used to use diethylstilbestrol in pharmacological doses like 15 milligram a day, that when the patient's responded and progressed if you stopped it in small number of patients you did see a quote-unquote withdrawal response because here you were almost as if you were doing ophrectomy on those patients because you were giving very large doses of estrogens whereas with the current agents I have not seen and specifically with tamoxifen from our own experience there was one patient which I was even still not convinced that she had a withdrawal response. So what happened with the patient, friend? So I was not convinced that she was aromatase resistant, but on the other hand, she was adamantly opposed to taking another pill that might be akin to what she had, so she received a loading dose of fulvestrin. 
and at three months was reassessed. She was monitored monthly, and her enzymes changed a little. But her marker started going down, and at three months she was reassessed with a PET-CT, and the hypermetabolic rate had declined almost completely. And the largest lesion of 2.8 centimeters was down to about 1.5. And I did not look, because as Dr. Sperano has said, we've encountered individuals who had bony lesions that proved to be myeloma, the lesions that proved to be lymphoma. We always biopsy these patients. And yeah, melanoma, I think, can be ER positive, as can a bunch of other tumors. But we're persuaded that this was breast cancer, and it seems borne out by our response. So where is she right now? She's at about a year from the full vestrant. The lesions haven't declined anymore. The large lesion is about 1.5 centimeters, and her marker is normal, her liver function is normal. Quality of life? Happy camper. How's she doing in terms of the full vestrant? Any symptoms, vasomotor symptoms, anything? None whatsoever, and we cautioned her about the pain of the injection, etc. Doesn't phase her. She was so convinced, as some of these patients are, that the drug leading to symptom, terrible drug, that we had to persuade her and show her the lesions to convince her. But once convinced and then showing her the response, they now have that increased adulation where we have to fight and keep humble from. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess someday she may be back on an AI if she'll do it. That would be, I think, a natural progression. You know, should she progress on this, which I suspect she will at some point, is to take her to one of the other AIs. Don't give her the one that gave her the pain in the stomach. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to present this case, Kathy, because docs don't talk too much about objective responses with fulvestrin. On the other hand, they're tending to use it pretty late line. Any reason to think that if you used it earlier, you wouldn't see the same thing in terms of tumor response and metastatic disease? I think we've got good trials with fulvestrin that show it's equivalently active to an AI or slightly better and equivalently active to tamoxifen. I think it's an active endocrine agent. I think the only reason for giving it farther along the pipeline is that it's an injectable. And my experience with it is that it's extremely well tolerated. Fred, how do you see the injection sitting with patients, particularly the ones who are coming in for the bisphosphonates also? Well, you know, I have tended to resist giving fulvestrant until third or fourth line because we've got these other diseases and have been very disappointed. Even loading them, it's been disappointing. And I think there have been surveys done which suggest that some of the patients actually report to prefer the injections. I've not tended to think so, and maybe I've projected my bias do you ask your patients what they prefer? We did one of those studies, incidentally. <laughs> we did. I have not. I've told them about the progression of treatments and then my recommendation. I think that it's much easier if that's kind of the last option that they have is for them to take it. And once they're resigned to that, they don't complain very much about the injections. Dr. Deutsch? I'd be the opposite end of the spectrum from you. I use it much earlier because for some patients, it absolutely ensures compliance. You don't have to worry whether they're going to take the pill or not because they're getting a shot once a month. You can combine it. You see them every four weeks. They get their bisphosphonate. They get their injection, and they're happy. They come once a month. They see you once a month. All they have to deal with is that one shot a month and their iridia, and then they're a free agent for the rest of the month. And I've had lots of good responses early on. I've used it more in bone-only disease, but they get two, two and a half years of therapy, and they're happy. They come once a month, and the rest of the time is their time. 
and they tolerate it well. May I ask, I believe I miss San Antonio. There's always been this business about even if you're resistant to an astrozole, letrozole, xmestane might pick up and respond. And I gather that there was a paper which looked at aromatase inhibitor resistant patients randomly allocated to fulvestrant and exemestane. That was the effect trial, Amon. Can you talk about what they did there and what they saw? Yeah, actually, this was a double-blind randomized trial that patients who were postmenopausal who had previously been treated with anti-estrogens and also non-steroidal aromatase inhibitors like anastrozole or letrozole. And then they were randomized at time of progression to either get fulvostrant with a loading dose or they were given exemestane with the placebo injections. And the data of this study was presented. This was the first largest randomized trial, almost 700 patients. And the data clearly demonstrated that the drug has anti-tumor activity, which is comparable to exemestane, and median time to progressions were very similar, and the safety profile of this drug looked very favorable. So I think this is a drug which has substantial anti-tumor activity, even as a third line, because majority of these patients have been previously exposed to tamoxifen and to non-steroidal AIs. And some of them actually even had another, like say, progestin or things like that. So it might be fourth-line therapies in a few patients. Kathy and Bill Gratishar, who presented this, showed some pharmacokinetic data related to this issue of loading. As Amon said, in this trial, everybody got loaded, but relevant to this other case, it clearly looked like the blood level got up, what, I guess within a month or so. Yeah. Was that your take? Yeah, whereas I think giving the standard dose just at a monthly level, the levels don't come up till about three months to a steady state. And I think that's an issue. I think one of the issues around Fazlodex has always been are we giving it in the optimal dose? And certainly at least the loading gets you up to a higher level earlier. I thought the effect trial was interesting in that it shows both the activity of fulvestrant and of the steroidal AI in that setting. I was always a bit of a skeptic about that. So, Have you seen objective responses when you have gone to exemestane after non-steroidal? I'm always skeptical that it's not very common, but I mean, that's what this data would suggest, is that actual shrinkages are not that common, but that you see a proportion of stable disease that's reasonable, and I think that's okay. What about adding exemestane to fulvestrant? Well, there are two big trials. There are actually three big trials going on now looking at adding Fazlodex to an AI versus an AI alone in the metastatic setting. There's the FACT trial. There's a SWOG trial. The FACT trial is more than half accrued. The SWOG trial is a third to a half accrued, I think, at least a third accrued. And we're going to have that data probably within a year or a year and a half We've been involved in the NCI in exploring the use of an AI versus an AI plus Fazlodex in the adjuvant setting, and we're hoping to be able to move ahead with that. It's really kind of intuitive to do that. We know it's a competitive for estrogen. It doesn't work that well in premenopausal patients. It kind of makes sense. Do you think it's reasonable to do in a non-protocol setting, Kathy? I don't do it in a non-protocol setting. I'm not a big user of things that haven't been studied in a non-protocol setting, but we have something like 20 patients now on the FACT study, and we're seeing some long responses, but you see long responses with AIs too. So I think it's certainly safe. We've got lots of safety data on it now. The preclinical logic to it is strong. I mean, the suggestion is that if we're not getting optimal doses of FASD, 
Cephalodex in, and, and that's always been an issue because of the injectable route and how big the injections are and so on. It could potentially shift the curve over by using the AI together with it and lowering estrogen levels. There's also preclinical mouse model, xenograft model work that suggests that the two together are much more effective. So we haven't had successes out of combining two hormones yet in this area, but this could be the exception. So I think it's really interesting. So, Joe, you've got a patient who's already had a regimen tamoxifen. She's had her non-steroidal AI. Maybe she had a response, and now she's progressing. You want to give her a full vestrant. Are you going to keep the AI going? Usually not, until I see some stronger evidence suggesting that using the two in combination would be advantageous, notwithstanding the preclinical data. 